back even before Jesus Christ, before Jesus released it. So for a few minutes passing in review, we talked about our, our verse in Second Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 8, where it said, How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? It is a glorious administration. Glorious means full of glory. It is full of glory. What is glory? The word glory is the Greek word doxa. The word doxa means all that God has and all that God is. It means his substance. It means who he is. So something that's glorious is full of the essence of God. It's full of the principle. God, what is God? God is the principle of all life. All life streams from him. All restoration comes from him. All healing comes from him. He is the very principle, the, the, the primary mover behind all life and existence. So you're talking about glory. You're talking about life. You're talking about the principle of life, power. You're talking about that which causes life. Something that is rather glorious. He's comparing it to the glory that Moses walked in. And we know that Moses had many signs and wonders and miracles that happened before him and before the people. And that the Bible talks about how that there was even great terror in the land when Israel came in the presence of other nations because they heard the stories. It went out before them. How God manifested his power and his glory. Everything was external with Israel. <clears throat> the law was given from the outside to be taken in to do something internally. The power of God was on the outside. The leadership of the spirit was from the external sources. It was a, the Bible says the angel of the Lord came and he was a fire by night and a cloud by day. And that's how he led them. When the angel began to move, they knew it was time for them to move. They packed up and they followed the glory. They followed the cloud and not the crowd. Come on. Anyway, I threw that one in for free. Uh, and so, so but, but everything was external. Everything was from the outside in. But in this new covenant, the change is from the inside out. And that's why Paul said, this administration that is of the Spirit is rather more glorious. What was the other administration? The other administration, the other administration was the administration of death or the administration of the law. And that the law did not come to fix anything. The law came to expose things. The law of Moses came to give you so many laws <laughs> to reveal to you that you can't keep them. <laughs> the law came to show you that apart from me, you cannot live. Apart from me, you can't be victorious over your own flesh. There's a law at work in your flesh. And for thousands of years, there was no law. There was no law on the day of Manoah. There was no law on the day of Abraham. The law only came, Moses, and it came to the children of Israel primarily. The law wasn't People all in Asia and all in China knew nothing about the law. Because the law was not given them. God was not going to judge them by the law. He was only going to judge Israel by the law because that's who he gave the law to. Only to Israel. But you have people thinking that the law was given to everybody. No, it wasn't. They, were, they didn't have no internet, no newspapers, no radio. There was millions of people around the world that knew nothing about the law. And millions that didn't know anything about what God was doing with Israel. Are you listening? But the law came to expose the hidden nature of sin in mankind. His fallen nature in his spirit that he inherited from Adam. And his fallen nature in his flesh. The law was not meant to fix anything. The Bible said now, if a man could keep the law, he would be perfect and upright. If he could keep it. Then the Bible says if he breaks the law in one area, he's guilty of all the law. So it was, a, it, was a, it was almost like walking through a minefield. On Saturday, you can't drag a chair across the floor. You in sin. That you broke the Sabbath. 
I mean, you can't you step on a crack, break your mama's back. You were in trouble every step of the way. The law made it so you was in a straitjacket. You couldn't, you're going to get in trouble. And it was meant to expose the nature of rebellion in mankind. And when that law had sufficiently exposed it, he said that was the ministration of death. Because why? You know, if you want people to act up, give them some rules. Tell them, if you want your kids to disobey you, tell them don't do that. And watch them try to see how far they can take it. <laughs> because there's something about laws and rules that awakens the rebellion. You know, you, if you don't have a law or a rule, there's nothing to rebel against. So there's no sin. See, the word sin means a missing of the mark. It means a falling short. You can't fall short if there's nothing, you can, if you're nothing, nothing to aim at. So when the law was given, it was given primarily for the purpose of exposing this in men, that apart from me, you cannot be upright. Apart from me, you cannot have a relationship. This is why before the law, the relationship that God had with Abraham was a relationship based upon faith. It was based upon the fact that Abraham came to the place that he realized, apart from you, I can't do nothing. But with you, I can do all things. And this was accounted to him to right standing. In other words, in order for you to be able to have a relationship with God, you've got to have faith. You have to walk in faith. You, why? Because you're believing in an invisible God that you can't see. That takes a certain amount of faith. So you have to have faith. You have to have, well, the Bible says you just can't have faith just by mustering it up. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Something has to be said to you to cause you or bring you to the place of believing something. That's why everybody gets in trouble through talking. Talking gets everybody in trouble. Talking, you, do you know faith comes by hearing, right? Guess what? Fear comes by hearing. Doubt comes by fearing. Yeah, it comes by hearing. Fear, doubt, unbelief, it comes by hearing because somebody telling you something over and over again, it produces. You are created so that you take in input and produce an output. So the question is, what are you allowing to be put in? What are you hearing constantly? It's going to change you. Because what you hear is what you think. What you think, what you dwell upon, what you ponder upon, what you ponder upon opens your heart to. What opens your heart to, something's going to find entry into it. Amen. Amen. So the law was made for that reason. He said this administration, even though it was administration of the ministration of death, why was it administration of death? Because the law of sin and death that reigns in our bodies was being exposed and it was, it was causing it to come to the forefront in our lives and the problem was that <laughs> the glory of God came to bring us much more Jesus didn't come to bring us back to Eden he didn't come to bring us to Eden he came to bring us beyond eating to a relationship that even Adam didn't have Remember I tell you before God came down to talk to Adam Jesus brings us up to the glory he brings us to the throne so he comes to restore us back before that so the Lord came to expose that which was in us and even in his death, mighty signs and wonders, mighty miracles, mighty power was demonstrated. The greatest power the world had ever seen supernaturally, even in the administration of death. But Paul says in the New Testament, this ministration is not of the law, it's of the spirit. This ministration is more glorious, more filled with life, more filled with power, more filled with glory. He says, and it's not outside in, it's inside out. It comes on the inside and manifests on the outside. When you believe in God for healing, you don't get healed in your body first. You, you receive it in your spirit first. Your spirit receives it and it manifests in your body. That's why you're not supposed to be checking your body. Check your spirit. Did you receive it inwardly? 
I prayed for I prayed for thousands of people, thousands of them. And the first thing he started doing was check. I said, don't check your body. Believe. Get rid of that fear. Get rid of that doubt. Oftentimes I have to tell people, listen, think about the love of Jesus. Let's talk about the love of God. Because when people start focusing on the love of God, see, when they see uh, Old Testament God, they see lightning bolts, ground opening up, lava, people dying, masses of people getting swallowed up, Armageddon, apocalypse. They don't want to think about Yahweh. You want to think about Jesus. Merciful, kind, gentle. When you start thinking about that, the love of God, faith worketh by the Bible says faith worketh by love. So when faith, in order for faith to work, you have to perceive the love of God. That's why you get people to start thinking on the love of God. They get healed quicker. They be up there uptight and they don't know what's getting ready to happen. Calm down. Take a deep breath. <laughs> calm down. You're not auditioning. You just calm down. It's not an interview. Breathe. Pastor, why do you always tell people to breathe? Because you need to relax. <laughs> Catherine Kuhlman said God can't use you till you relax. Because the Holy Spirit is not nervous. He don't need you to be jittering and shaking all over. He needs you to calm down. Because faith says, you got it, Holy Ghost. I'm just here to do the work. <laughs> I'm just here to participate with you. Getting people to relax. And getting people out of condemnation. See, the law brings condemnation and it stops the provision from God. That's why you get over in life and get over in love and get over in the kingdom. Get over in the moving of the Spirit of God. The miracles begin to flow easier. So, <clears throat> just get to work real quick. So, we talked about Ezekiel 36, 28. A new heart will I give you. A new spirit will I put within you. I will take away the stony heart of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you, verse number 27, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. He was foretelling the coming of the Spirit of God. In Joel 2, 28, you all know this one. And it shall come to pass afterward, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, on your sons and daughters, shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. Huh? Isaiah 28 and 11, my, one of my favorite Old, Old Testament scriptures. With stammering lips and another tongue will I speak to this people, to whom he said, This is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing they would not hear. Praying in the Spirit is a refreshing. This is the refreshing process. Why? We're going to talk about how it refreshes your spirit in a few minutes. These are Old Testament scriptures that were all foretelling the coming of of what God wanted to do in this ministration of the Spirit. Are you listening so far? We talked about how John the Baptist came on the scene in brief. Uh, you all get the tape from last week. John the Baptist was a Levite. His father was Zechariah. Zechariah was a Levite. John, Jesus said in Matthew eleven twelve, For the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. And, you know, everybody went out and got there to be the banner for their conference because they're going to take, take it back by faith because we violent. But that out of context, it has nothing to do with that verse. The Bible is talking about the Romans came in and took over Israel and took the kingdom of God by force. But from that time, John the Baptist began to preach and people are now pressing back into the kingdom. The kingdom suffered violent, violent men, not men full of faith. Rome came and conquered Israel and took over and they hijacked the priesthood. All they did was put in a puppet king, Herod, and they put in a puppet priesthood. The Bible says his name was Caiaphas. He was the head of the high priest. So basically, they just wanted to pacify the Jews and give them their own little thing, but not really be free. But John the Baptist was a Levite, and he was also a prophet. And in order for a king to be inaugurated, he had to be anointed by a prophet, and he had to be blessed by a priest. Well, the priesthood had been defunct. There wasn't no real priest in Israel, and there wasn't no prophets nowhere around. But John the Baptist was full of the Holy Ghost from the wound. He was both a Levite, a priest, and he was a prophet. So when Jesus came to him and said, Suffer to be so. To fulfill all righteousness. That word righteousness means the right way of doing things. 
He says, suffer it to be so. You, you are Baptist, so baptize me. That's the way you inaugurate. So you baptize me because I need a prophet and a priest, and you happen to be both in one. John was a two-in-one. He, he was a one-stop shop. He was a double. <laughs> so he baptized Jesus, and the Bible says the Holy Spirit came down, the heavens opened up, and the Bible says some thought it thundered. When you got the Holy Ghost, somebody thought it thundered. Anyway, well, we understand the Bible says that um, it went on and, and, and Jesus began to baptize converts and he began to talk about it, that John the Baptist said, he that come after me is the same that baptizes in the Holy Ghost. And he baptizes in fire. Now, the fire part is not a good part. <laughs> the fire part, oh, i got the Holy Ghost and fire. Well, the Bible is talking about fire, talking about judgment. The Holy Ghost, the baptism of the Holy, because he explains it later on. The next verse, he talks about why it's of fire, because it's going to bring judgment. But the baptism of the Holy Ghost is for the believer. We went on further talking about how that Jesus said, if you ask for a bread, your father won't give you a rock. If you ask for a fish, he won't give you a snake. If you ask for an egg, he won't give you a scorpion. How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to his children that ask him the holy spirit is not for sinners the holy spirit is only for children of god the bible says the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive you can't be in the world and get the holy ghost you have to be up out the world and so we talk about when i grew up people say you better watch it you might get a false spirit you know the devil speaks in tongues the demons speak in tongues the bible said if you ask for a fish he's not going to allow you to get a snake he said, if you ask for what? If you ask for bread, he won't give you a rock. If you ask in God for the Holy Ghost, he's not going to allow you to get a false demon or a false spirit. You know, Jesus is the one who personally baptizes you in the Holy Ghost. He's the one who personally takes you and baptizes you in the Holy Ghost. Don't you think he can handle it and make sure you don't get a demon? Amen. All right, we're still passing in review. All right, so we talked about also in last week about how that... The main thing that Jesus came to do was to be the first staging of the invasion. He came to bring the new creation. He came to destroy the work of sin and to establish the possibility for mankind to be born again. And the Bible says, as many as received him, he gave them power to become sons. Salvation ain't about you going to heaven. Salvation is not about you not going to hell. Salvation is about you being born again. It's about you becoming a son. It's, see, when you're a son of God, hell is out the question. When you're a son of God, being lost can't happen to you. The goal is to become a son, to become like him, to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, to be like the son. To be conf the Bible says to be conformed to his image. Huh? So with this, see, because see, the purpose is God always wanted to come and dwell inside us. But he couldn't do it when your spirit was contaminated. It had fallen. So Jesus came to give us the new creation. The Bible says we talked about how Jesus was born once. According to Jewish law, a child is born to the father. And then at the age of 12, he has his bar mitzvah. And in his bar mitzvah, this is Jewish culture, the father now officially adopts his own son. That doesn't make much sense, does it? But at the bar mitzvah, this is where he's supposed to leave childish things and take on the responsibility of a man. This is where he receives his inheritance from his father at the age of 12. He's recognized by a man as a man by his family. No longer a child. The age of accountability. You know right from wrong. When Jesus was born in a man, when he was born of Mary without sin, the angels rejoiced, this is my son. At the baptism, this is my son. 
But the Bible says in the book of Acts that when he got up from the grave, Peter said, and it was fulfilled in the scripture, where God said, this day have I begotten thee. Wait a minute. When he got up out the tomb, the tomb became a new womb. When he came out the tomb, he said, this day have I begotten thee. See, Jesus had a bar mitzvah at the resurrection. He was born of no sin by Mary. But then when he, see what happened is, he took the curse of sin in his body. And when he died, that body was disintegrated with the curse. Jesus destroyed sin. There is no more sin problem. There is no more sin problem. There is no more sin problem. He destroyed. Well, there's people sinning every day. There's a sinner problem. There is people being born with a fallen nature still. With a nature after Adam. And their nature hasn't been changed. But the sin, the original sin that Adam did in the garden that released the curse, that was destroyed in his body. That's why sin can no longer have dominion over the believer. If you sin, you do it willfully. Because you have power over sin because his power has been broken over you. Like I told you before, only a Christian, only a Christian can fall in sin. Because when you're a sinner, you down, you can't fall no lower. Only a, you ain't been lifted. Only a Christian can fall. But if he fall, he can get back up. Amen. So, Jesus is bar mitzvah and he receives his inheritance after the resurrection. What does he say? All power in heaven. Wait a minute. I thought you had all power already. I had power in heaven. But I didn't have it on the earth. I had to trick the devil into doing something illegal by killing an innocent man. And when he killed an innocent man, he forfeited his right to rule over mankind. For this cause was the Son of God manifested that he might destroy the work of the devil. So when the devil killed the first and only innocent man who'd ever been born without sin... He lost his right to wield authority over mankind. And here's that authority just laying on the ground somewhere. And Jesus gets up with a brand new glorified body. A body no longer made of carbon-based material. A body that even from a subatomic level is completely glorified and full of the principle of life. A glorified quantum body. An energetic body. You see, the Bible says when he got up, I feel the Holy Ghost. When he got up from the grave, he didn't even have to take the clothes off. He just morphed out of him. I can't get no help in here. Why? Because his body was no longer flesh like your flesh. It was quantum flesh. Glorified flesh. And with this brand new body, he had the ability to say, now all power in heaven and earth is in my hand. That which Adam lost, I got it back. I got it back, baby. Don't touch me. You're going to spoil it. I'm going to my father and to your father. And the Bible says he went into the heavenly holy place and he took his blood. That blood that was spilled. Oh, don't get me talking about the blood now. The liquid light. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word in Him was life. And that life is the light. That life that's life. That Word. That living hologram. That projection of God's creation power. Took on flesh and blood started pumping through a body. And for the first time, light became liquid. I can't get no help in here. And his blood was liquid light. In his blood was the hologram, the graphic information from which everything that ever was made. Come on, somebody. For he was in the world. 
and the world. That's what John is trying to tell you on John chapter 1. He was in the world and the world was made by him. He came unto his own and what? They didn't receive him. So that blood, that was liquid word. Liquid word, all the prophecies and all the power, all the word, all the truth, everything that God is in liquid form. That's why he came to make blood. Because the blood of Jesus is the only thing that is both of heaven and of earth. And it's the only thing that can reconcile heaven back to earth. And he took that blood. How did he gather it up? I don't know how he got Maybe the angels gathered it up. Maybe the blood is so bad it's got its own sense and just gathered itself together because his blood can't die. It's the only blood that has no death sentence attached to it. His blood, his DNA is so powerful that if you put one drop in your body, it'll overwrite all your DNA. <laughs> Why? Because in his blood is a code, and he can override the coding of sin and the programming of death inside your body. Oh, God is bad, ain't he? He took that, he took that liquid living light up into heaven, and now the blood stands as a witness, and the Bible says the blood is talking. It speaks. Just like blood on the, on the floor of the murder scene. If you've got the right eyes, you can see it. If you've got a right microscope, you can see what the blood is saying. The blood will tell you who it is. The blood will tell you what type. Come on. When the blood, when you're looking through the, right, what, through the right eyes, the blood of Jesus is telling you what type it is. It's speaking better things than the blood of Abel. Abel's blood cried out for justice, but Jesus' blood is crying out for mercy. Ah. And with that blood vouchsafed in heaven eternally. And now his body, it has no blood in it at all. Where there was once blood, there's now glory flowing through that body. And he ever lives now to become Melchizedek, a priest after the order of God, making intercession. So what does all this mean? He gave us the new creation that as many as received him, we become sons. This is about family now. This ain't about covenants and keeping rules. This is about I'm a family. I'm a blood right family. And see, he adopted us into the kingdom of God. Because he adopted Jesus, he adopted us too. And all this came so he could bring the Holy Ghost to us. Because the Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father. So that was just passing in review. Now let's look over here. Let's pick it up where we left off last week. <laughs> My God, my God. Acts chapter 1, Jesus is being caught up and into the heavenly. And he tells them, he says now, he says, go in Jerusalem and tarry there till you be endowed with power from on high. Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. You know, some people think that when they get the Holy Ghost and they're shaking all over, they got that power. That's not really the power the Holy Ghost is talking. The Bible is talking about the power is talking about authority. Dunamis, explosive miracle working power. And it's funny, you read the first chapter, the Jewish people, these poor people, they were still asking Jesus, Wilt thou not, right after he got through telling them what he came to do, he said, Wilt thou not restore the kingdom back to Israel at this time? We have followed you for three years, you know. Waiting for you to take over things so we can be in charge with you. Is this the time when you're going to restore the kingdom? He said, look, you know what? I don't have time to talk to stupid people. Just go to Jerusalem and get the Holy Ghost. He'll explain it to you. You ain't figured it out in three and a half years. I didn't come to bring an earthly kingdom yet. 
he said, look, don't you worry about what God's going to do. That stuff is in his time and his season. You go to Jerusalem. You do what I tell you to do. Go to Jerusalem and get endowed with power. And the Holy Ghost will lead you in God. He'll tell you everything you need to know. Because you on a need-to-know basis. I know you want God to give you a dream and a vision and just tell you your whole life. But that wouldn't be walking by faith if he did that. He's going to show you piece by piece. So he says, go in Jerusalem, be endowed with power from on high. The Bible says the witnesses, they waited there, they sat there, and they, they waited for many, many days. And the day of Pentecost came, it says, suddenly, the Bible says, the day of Pentecost was fully come, Acts 2 and 1. They were all in one accord, not a car. They were in one accord, meaning they were all together, in one mind. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven's a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the place where they were sitting, and appeared to them divided up among them, clothed in tongues of fire, and it set upon each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they began to, what? This is the connection. Field speaking. Field speaking. When you get full, you're going to speak. When you get filled, you're going to speak. Now, you don't always speak in tongues, but when you get filled, he says they spoke in tongues and prophesied. But the connection is when you get filled, you're going to speak. You look up field and speaking all through the New Testament, you're going to find a phenomenal study on the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. They were filled. The Bible says, let's go back to Luke chapter 1, verse number 67 for those who are on the recording. John the Baptist's father and the father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and he began to prophesy, saying, tongues hadn't come yet. The gift of tongues hadn't been given yet, but he got filled with the Holy Ghost and he began to what? Speak. What's prophesying? Speaking. Prophecy is when you are giving the will of God, the unknown mind of God is being revealed. The divine will and purpose of God is being revealed. That's what prophecy is. Revealing of the mind and will of God. Making it known. He said the Holy Ghost came upon him and he began to reveal the mind and will of God and made it plain. The Holy Spirit wants to come and reveal the mind of God and make it clear for you. He comes when you get filled. So, so Zechariah got filled and he did what? Y'all are slow but y'all are here. He got filled and he began to do what? Yeah, not, he got filled and he began to what? That, thank you. And they got on the day of Pentecost, they got filled with the Holy Ghost and they began to what? The Bible says in Acts chapter 4 and verse number 31, And when they prayed and the place where they were assembled together, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. When you get filled with the Holy Ghost, you're going to speak. Do you see the connection? They were all, they, something's going to happen out your mouth. They got filled and they began to speak. Now, we ain't done yet. This is my favorite one, Acts chapter 8 and verse number 5. And then Philip went down into Samaria. Somebody say, only in Samaria. And preached Christ unto the, <laughs> them. And the people were in one accord. There's that word again. One accord. Something about unity and one accord. You know, the reason why we worship and have service in church, you know, God don't have a jukebox where he has a favorite song. And when you sing his favorite song, he just slips on into the service because that was the song he was waiting on all day. No. The purpose of praise and worship is the only time where you all are all saying the same thing and thinking the same thing at the same time. The purpose of worship is to get us all in one accord. It don't matter what you sing about. We could all sing Yes, Jesus loves me. Yeah, we could be singing that. But if all of us begin to think on that song while we sing it, our hearts begin to open up and suddenly the mood begin to change. Because see, you got you are a temple and the glory of God is in you. Your temple doors begin to open up. And the glory in you meets the glory in her. And suddenly it becomes tangible for everybody to feel it. 
That's why sometimes we have, I learned this in years and years traveling and preaching, but we had, I had to plow through people's unbelief. I'd get to churches and nobody believed in nothing my first night. My God, we get in there preaching. You ever, you ever preach somewhere, it's like, you do, it's like the ceiling is hard, the floor is hard, the faces are hard. You have to start preaching so they can start hearing so faith can start coming. That's why you can't preach a bunch of philosophy. You can't get up and preach a bunch of self-help. You've got to preach the word. If you're not preaching the word, faith not going to come. You preach your experience and your testimony and what you went through and who hurt you, that ain't going to work. You've got to preach the word. When you start preaching the word of God, they may look like they ain't listening, but as they're hearing, faith starts coming. Give them three days of hearing the word. After a while, the atmosphere starts changing because faith starts getting activated because faith cometh. You've got to learn how to do that. And then... I had to learn. Somebody said, you know, you sing all right, Pastor Reed. I had to learn how to sing. I couldn't sing always. I never thought about singing. But I got to churches where there was nobody to sing. You ever, been, you ever had to fly an airplane into town and then drive four hours into Poduck, Possum Gallo, down somewhere where you, it's like, like place that, how in the world did I get here? Why am I here? God is not here. Nothing but a Walmart. Not even a Walmart. It's a 7-Eleven. That's the closest thing you got. But them poor souls won't revive, or at least they think they do. And you've got to learn to lead them in a song because you've got to get them all to say the same thing at the same time and start believing. And sometimes you have to sing that song over and over again until it starts getting through their thick head. Because while they're singing, they're not thinking about it. They're just singing what you're telling them to sing like Simon says. They're just singing the song because you told them and the words is on the screen and they don't know what they're doing. But as soon as it starts, wait a minute. And the light bulb comes on. And suddenly the light bulb starts coming on and you start feeling a shift in the atmosphere. So, woo. Why? Because the majority of the people, it don't have to have everybody, but the majority shifts to that side. You always have a few stragglers out there that don't get it. Or they just carnal and stubborn and in the flesh. But when the majority, see, in God's kingdom, democracy rules. When the majority of people want the move of God, desire it. You can now start stepping into it. Well, why does it have to be so when you're over in Africa preaching, God just be moving? Because where grace abound, where sin abound, grace much more abound. They ain't got no faith, don't believe in nothing. It's your God up against all the 700,000 gods they got. So grace abounds and God moves. But in the church, to whom much is given, more is required. You got Jesus in you. I'm not supposed to be trying to convince you he's a healer and convince you. He could. I'm not supposed to be trying to convince you of that. You're supposed to already know. So it's going to require for you to put your flesh under subjection and bring every thought into the obedience of Christ. It takes, it's a different atmosphere when you win with believers. Because you can't cast the devil out of people. I mean, you can't cast the people out of devils. People make up their own mind to do what they want to do. They can resist you all that. You can't bind you. Who are you binding? Man, come out of that demon. You can't even do that. Anyway, the Bible says in one accord, and listen to this, they gave heed to the things which Philip spake, hearing, hearing, and seeing the miracles which he did. But when they believed, verse number 12, but when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the authority of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also, and he was baptized, and he continued with Philip, and he wondered. I like that. He was walking around with Philip just wondering, like, Wow, looking at miracles, he just was wondering. See, that's what's wrong with people. They don't wonder anymore. There's something about signs and wonders. What do they wonder? It's to make you wonder. 
It's supposed to lead you to something. If you got a brain and you can do any logic, you ought to be able to do the math. Remember what the fishes and the loaves? Remember when we did a whole series about the loaves, consider the loaves, that, that when Jesus walked upon the water and they were shaking in their boots, they were terrified and he had just got through feeding 10,000 people with loaves. They had just sat there all afternoon watching Jesus break miracles. Oh, you, I, mean, I mean, literally, they were getting an education in the spiritual school of supernatural ministry. He's just breaking bread right in front of them, just breaking it and passing it out and breaking it and passing it out for about two hours. This wasn't no one-time miracle. He blessed it and broke it, and it just kept separating and dividing to feed 10,000 people an afternoon of miracles. And then he comes walking on the water, and they're, they're flipping out because he's walking on the water. And the Bible says, and because they, they, they did not believe, they struggled with the fact that he could walk on the water. He says, because they didn't consider the loaves, and their hearts were hardened. When you don't consider the God's miracle working power, it hardens your heart. Every time it passes by and you don't listen to it, your heart gets harder. In the day you hear my voice, you better listen. Don't harden your heart. They didn't consider. See, they should have saw that miracle and said, man, this man can do anything. They were supposed to start wondering if he can feed 10,000. What else can he do? Should he open up a subway? They should have been doing the math. They should have been thinking, but they weren't. All they were concerned about is that they wanted to make him king and he wouldn't allow them to make him king. Because they wanted to get this thing going. We're ready to be princes. We're ready to be big shots. We've left everything to follow you. It's time for you to become king and make us head honchos around here. And he didn't do it. He disappeared when they came to make him king. He said, y'all get in the boat and go on the other side. And he disappeared and went and prayed, came out later, and now they're freaking out. Now they're mad. Their hearts were hard. They forgot all about the loaves. See, the Bible says Simon the sorcerer who was practicing witchcraft, he had bewitched the people. And he had people thinking he was a great power. And then here comes God. See, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. Until the two-eyed man show up. He was down there bewitching everybody. Everybody thought he was the man. He was the man about town. There's Simon. Here comes Simon. Don't, don't cross him. He'll curse you. He has a potion. Don't, they, people whispered about him. But here comes Philip coming in full of the Holy Ghost. Coming to town, start, start, just starts preaching. Anybody know about Jesus? Let me tell you about him. Starts talking about Jesus. People start getting healed. Miracles start happening. Suddenly, stories start going. And all of a sudden, the whole town comes out without Wi-Fi, without broadband, without Internet, without TV. The word starts spreading. And the Bible says he began to preach the kingdom and preach Jesus. And the Bible says they believed Philip. It's important that people believe that you are credible. The Bible says they believed Philip. What if they didn't believe Philip? Then the message would be lost. You just can't live any kind of raggedy way in front of people and expect people to believe what you're saying when you preach it. The Bible says they, Philip had demonstrated that something about this guy that we need to listen to him. He got miracles. You got miracles and signs and wonders happening. I'm going to listen to what you got to say because you know something. They believed Philip and the Bible says Simon began to follow and look at the miracles and he wondered. But he started wondering wrong. He wondered how he could get this power and upgrade his witchcraft. He wondered how he could get to be something great. See, a lot of people want the power of God because they want to be great. A lot of people want signs and wonders because they want to validate who they are. But see, that's the same spirit of witchcraft. Because witchcraft wants to use... Did you know all power is God's power? Even the devil's power is God's power. The devil don't got no power except for the power that God gave him. That's even God's power. Witchcraft is even God's power used illegally. All power is God's power. Well, I don't know, but you think the devil got power apart from God when all power belongs to the Lord? Every gift God gives you, he's going to judge you on how 
used it. Every one of them. He's going to say, what you do with the gift I gave you? Huh? He was operating elite. Witchcraft is I want to use supernatural power to get what I want to glorify me. Holy Ghost power is I just want to be a vessel so he can be lifted. So Jesus can be glorified. Are you listening? So Simon sees him. He's wandering after him. And the Bible says, and yet, wait a minute, in verse number 14, now the apostles of Jerusalem had heard about Samaria, had received the word of God. They sent Peter and John, who then when they came down, I got about 20, 20 minutes left. Can y'all take it? My God. Where does the time go? <laughs> and he says, he prayed. We came down and prayed for them, for they might receive the Holy Ghost. Listen to this. For as yet he has fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And it says, and they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Thousands of people. Hundreds of people packed in the streets. Ain't no church. There's no church building service. They everywhere. And the apostles come down. This didn't happen in a few minutes. They didn't hear the word and they get on a horse and be there in a half an hour. They heard the word. It took days. The revival was going on. Miracles, signs and wonders. People were getting blown away. Simon was wondering. And they heard the word and they sent James and John down. Or Peter and James. Or Peter and John. Sent them down. They came down in the city and they started laying hands on people. And the Bible said they started receiving the Holy Ghost. Read the next verse. It says, and Simon, when he saw that the Holy Ghost came upon people by the laying upon hands, here he is in his old way. He said, sell me that gift. I got money. If you, I'll buy the gift from you if you give me the gift so that when I, whoever I touch will get the Holy Ghost. See, all the people want to argue about, well, you don't have to speak in tongues when you get the Holy Ghost. You, brother, you don't have to have no outward sign. I have the Holy I have as much Holy Ghost as you got. No, you don't. Because, see, even though it doesn't say they spoke in tongues when they laid hands on them, but guess what? The whole book of Acts, every time the Holy Ghost came, they were filled and they began to speak in tongues or prophesy. But only in this story, it says they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. You see, Luke that wrote this book doesn't think you stupid. He thinks that you're following his story, that everybody that gets the Holy Ghost gets filled and they start talking. So he didn't think he had to reiterate it over again. He said he laid hands on them. But guess what? Something happened on the outside that he could see that they were getting the Holy Ghost. And it wasn't warm, fuzzy feelings on the inside. Something was happening on the outside that demonstrated that every time they touched somebody, they got filled with the Holy Ghost. I mean, it was a Holy Ghost razzmatazzum that hit them. Then he dropped the Holy Ghost whammy on him. And he, and he was sitting there saying, I want that power. He wasn't buying warm, fuzzy feelings. A smile. Yes, I got feel. I just know it somehow. No, he wasn't doing that. He saw the apostles moving in signs and wonders and power began to fall and feel. I remember a friend of mine told me when he was in Africa, in Cotonou Benin, Africa, preaching the gospel there and he said the city called Obamacaria meaning in French, abomination because the whole city was a city of witchcraft. Everybody, generations worship witchcraft. You found voodoo tents and voodoo huts like you find churches on Six Mile and Puritan. Everywhere he went, he said it was which, and they began to have it. He said 5,000 people were in that room, and he said, who wants to be filled with the Holy Ghost? And 2,000 people came down forward and came down looking up, saying they wanted to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And he began to pray on the platform with his ministers that came with him, and the power fell. He said, I could see the power hit him. He said, as the power hit them, lizards and snakes and frogs began to come up out their mouths and fall. They were being delivered from demonic power as they began 
begin to speak in tongues and get filled with the Holy Ghost. 2,000 at one time. Fell in the power of the Holy Ghost. Can you imagine only in Samaria where the power of God fell like that? That's why he saw that and said, I want this power. I can take this show on the road. And Peter said, you are full of gall and bitterness. See, the devil takes bitter people who feel like they haven't got what they wanted out of life. And they want to get validated. And that's how they get into witchcraft. That's why they don't mind hurting people and controlling and manipulating people. Because witchcraft is control. Peter said, I perceive you are full of gall and bitterness. He said, your money is going to perish with you. And Simon started straightening up. He said, wait a minute. He said, he said, he said pray that this don't come on me. The power of God. And the Bible says the people in that city begin to throw away all their witchcraft. And there was great joy in the city. They may, it, may, it, it may not have said that they spoke in tongues, but something was being demonstrated visibly, tangibly, and perceptibly that they could tell that there was a transfer of power. Are you listening? Something physical happened. An outward sign showed a witness that the Holy Ghost had came. And it's already been established that every time the Holy Ghost comes, they speak. Acts chapter 10, verse number 44. And Peter spake these words, and the Holy Ghost fell upon them that heard him. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished. As many as came with Peter because of the Gentiles also was the gift of the Holy Ghost poured out. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered said, Can any man forbid water that these should be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as we? Now, in Samaria, they had already been baptized, but they hadn't received. But when God was bringing... The Gentiles, he got Peter. You know the story. Some of y'all do the vision of unclean meat. And Peter was a racist because he wasn't about going to help nobody that was Gentile. He thought the Holy Ghost was only for them. And God said, you know, I'm going to show it to you three times because you're stupid. <clears throat> you don't get it the first time. Your head is long. And he sees it. And he still don't get it. And ding dong, the door rings. He goes downstairs. And the man says, you got to come and preach the gospel to us. And he said, this is what the Lord trying to tell me. The Bible says when he walks into the house of Cornelius. Now back then, they had houses that had living rooms like this with all of his family and people in there. He walked in and the Bible said he began to preach the gospel of Jesus. As he began to preach, the power fell. Ooh, you know something wrong with our churches when you can preach and the power don't fall. It's something wrong when you come in churches and it's a bunch of philosophy and self-help and a bunch of hyper grace and a bunch of other stuff. But the power is not working. The Bible said, and the Holy Ghost working with them, confirming the word with signs following, with signs following, with signs following. The Bible says, as he was yet preaching, the Holy Ghost fell upon them and they began to do what? They were filled with the Holy Ghost and they began to and they began to prophesy. They began to prophesy. These Gentiles that didn't know, they didn't go to a prophetic training class. They didn't go to a prophetic training course to learn how to shut their minds down and get quiet and go into neutral, which is soothsaying, by the way. And they didn't learn how to go to the prophetic training course and send $150 down so they can get their prophetic training. You don't know that stuff that people try to teach you. You end up going to learn how to be a familiar spirit operator. A lot of times this is what happened. You got to get quiet, get your mind quiet, you got to do that, and you let the Lord, you know, get neutral. They try to teach you all this stuff in the church. But when they got filled with the Holy Ghost, what happened? They begin to speak and they begin to prophesy without any coaching, without anybody giving them three points to follow. You know, it just began to flow out of them. The unction began to flow out of them. They got filled and they began to speak. Then he said, 
They ain't been baptized yet. Can any forbid baptism? So we see that baptism ain't got nothing to do with whether you get the Holy Ghost or not. See, I was raised in a church that told you you got to get baptized in the water and put the name of Jesus on that water. It's like putting dishwashing detergent down in the water. But that ain't the truth. Because it ain't water baptism that washes away sin. It's the blood of Jesus that washes away sin. And the blood of Jesus is in heaven. And you ain't never seen the blood of Jesus. So how do you know the blood of Jesus is real? How do you know the blood of Jesus is real? By faith. And that's how the blood is applied to you. By faith. The word is nigh thee. Even in your mouth. That when you confess the Lord Jesus. That's when the blood. See they had already believed. And the Holy Ghost fell upon them. They didn't have to get baptized in water to get their sins washed away. The blood of Jesus, you think sin is in your body? Sin is in your spirit is where it's at. And the blood of Jesus is applied to your heart and it washes away the sin. Baptism is what you do to represent what has already happened on the inside. It's an open declaration of what's already taking place on the inside. Like Paul, like Peter said, it's the answer of a good conscience toward God. What does that mean? It's an outward showing. You know what? You can get married secretly and nobody know you. The will be that people might start trying to hit on your husband or your woman because they don't know they're married. Right. See, because their conscience, you haven't awakened their conscience yet. They're not conscious that you're spoken for and belong. But if you put a ring on, that's a sign, an outward sign. And it's when they say, oh, she's married. Yes, see, you just awaken their conscience to know that's not for you. Right. Supposedly. Right. If you got a, a conscience. When somebody won't do wrong, they do what? Take that light off. Come on. See, baptism is the outward showing, showing a representation of the, the, the consciousness you have received. And it's a demonstration to everybody else. I belong to him now. I've been buried with him in baptism. I put my wedding band on. I'm married to Jesus now. And they got the Holy Ghost because they believe by faith. These folk were so ready. And believing. They wasn't like how to get it to me. They were just saying, gimme, gimme, gimme. And the Spirit fell upon them and baptized them in the Holy Ghost. He said, well, let's go ahead and baptize them. If baptism washes away sins, they wouldn't have been able to receive the Holy Ghost before baptism. If baptism, I'm going to say it again since you said so. <laughs> baptism, if baptism washes away sins then they would not have been able to receive the Holy Ghost before they got baptized. But salvation is a new creation of the Spirit. Ephesians 2.10 says we are his workmanship recreated in Christ Jesus under good work. He got to recreate your inner man by the action of that living light blood in heaven. And it happens at quantum speed. Born again. While he was yet preaching, there was a transference of power. Jesus came in and the Holy Ghost filled afterward. And they began to prophesy under the power. What? They were filled and they began to speak. You know what? The Holy Ghost is not stupid. The Holy Ghost is not a stupid. He's not your. He, you see, people act like the Holy Ghost is that wild and crazy lunatic cousin that you keep locked up in the attic because you don't want him to turn nobody off. Well, brother, we don't believe in all those movings of the spirit, all that shaking and shouting. There's no time for that in church. We don't want to turn anybody off. So once you get saved, they give you a class about the Holy Ghost, and then they try to get you filled later, but they don't want nothing to move in the service. They don't want to turn nobody off to the Holy Ghost. You know, it's kind of like when you was going to see somebody, and, you know, they kept a crazy lunatic gimp 
in the family up in the attic and lock him up. And you don't, we don't want you to see the crazy folk in our family. They put a good foot forward and you join the family. Then they bring the gimp downstairs. Says, oh, we, we might as well bring out all the secrets of the family now. This is Cousin Basil, you know. <laughs> you know. He's out of control. You got to watch it now because he might do something crazy. <laughs> you got to watch that Holy Ghost. You can't control him. He's the crazy one in the family. He's the crazy, he's the wild one in the Trinity. <laughs> you don't have to apologize for the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is pure, energetic genius. The Holy Ghost knows exactly what he's doing. When you start trying to apologize for the Holy Ghost and try to shut the Holy Ghost down because you want to make people like the Holy Ghost, no, no. You let the Holy Ghost move and have his way, and if it, even, if it runs people out, let him run. I guarantee you, but if it's the real Holy Ghost, it will have him run into the altar before they run out. Let the Holy Ghost have His way. Don't curtail the Holy Ghost. Don't quench the Spirit. Let the Holy Ghost do what He wants to do. Let Him explain Himself. He's not stupid. He's not. The Holy Ghost is not dumb that He can just feel people and He don't know why He's feeling them. Well, yeah, well, you know, the Holy Ghost, they got to feel, but they, they, they got to get back there. The Holy Ghost made an exception to the rule. He didn't make no exception to the rule. He's not dumb. This ain't like, Holy Ghost is not like gas that you're filling up with a fuel tank. He's intelligent. He only feels people that are ready. Ah. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Look out here. <laughs> Hallelujah. The Bible says, Acts chapter 19, verse number 2. And he said to them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? They said to him, We have not so much heard whether there be a Holy Ghost. Then he said, John barely baptized unto repentance, saying to them, well, what, he said, what will you baptize unto? And he said, but, but now Jesus has come, he tells them. In verse number five, they heard this, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. And Paul laid his hands upon them, and the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. They got filled, and they did what? You see that pattern throughout all of the New Testament? They were filled in speaking. And the Bible says most of the time they laid hands on them, or the Holy Ghost just fell on them. That's why we don't have tarrying rooms. That's why we don't have Holy Ghost waiting. The Bible said, go and tarry in Jerusalem. Well, I can't make it to Jerusalem. Well, I'm not going all that way to get the Holy Ghost. Why can't he come right here? <laughs> tarry means wait. They only had to wait till he came. The comfort is here now. The Holy Ghost is here. You ain't got to wait for the Holy Ghost. You ain't got to tarry now. They laid hands on him and they received the Holy Ghost. Are you listening? 1 Corinthians 14 and 2. Now, field to speaking. Now, look at this. The Bible says, well, or better yet, Ephesians 5 and 6. Can I, get, can I get 10 minutes? You sure? Wave your hand if it's all right for me to take 10 minutes because you ain't ready yet. It's like an inferno up in here. Good God. I got to be holy. I got to make it to heaven. I got to be saved. No. I can't go to hell now. For you that still believe in hell. You know, the church is changing. Folks don't know what they believe in. Ephesians 5 and 6. Redeeming the time... Because the days are evil. Wherefore, be not unwise, but the understanding what the will of the Lord is. Don't be drunk with wine, wherein is excessive behavior, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to yourself in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, and giving thanks always for all things under God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now we see the same connection, being filled and speaking. But this time he says speaking to yourself in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. This is the operation of the Spirit of God in the believer's life as we go on to know the Lord. After we go from the cross, because some folks are stuck at the cross, they go to the resurrection, they go from the resurrection to the upper room, but now we go into the uttermost parts of the world in the book of Ephesians, Paul says you have to learn how to redeem time. Because time is passing. Time is the currency of this earth. Did you know that? Time is the only real currency on this planet. Money is a figment of your imagination and it's an idea and it's a concept. One day it's worth something, then it's not worth anything. But time is the only thing that is the currency that you and I have. And people waste their time. They spoil their time. They get onto other things and they misuse their time. But he says there's a way that you can redeem the time. Redeem means to get what? To exchange and have a redemptive exchange. It means to get something for it. He said redeeming the time because the days are evil. He said don't be unwise. He said I'm going to show you how to use real wisdom from God in redeeming your time. The wisdom of God knows how to redeem time. It knows how to get back the years that were lost. The Spirit of God knows how to get back the pathways that took you to wrong places. The Spirit of God knows how to redeem the years you wasted doing stuff you thought was God but wasn't God. He knows how to redeem the time. How? Don't get, don't, look, look, don't get sorrowful for all the years you've wasted and all the mistakes you've made. Don't hit the liquor bottle and start drinking wine and drinking away your sorrow at happy hour. I got a better drink for you. I got a better way for you. And this will actually work to redeem the time. Be full of the Holy Ghost. Don't get drunk with wine, but get so full until you start speaking. Get filled till you start speaking to yourself in Psalms, hymns. Now, Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. What is a psalm? A psalm is a poetic ode. It's when you talk about the greatness of God. It is a test. It is a psalm is a testimony how God brought you out. You start testifying about what he done for you. The Bible says in, in, in Revelation 19, the testimony of Jesus. What is the spirit of prophecy? All prophecy flows from the testimony that you have about Jesus in your life. When you start talking about what you may not be a Greek and Hebrew, you may not have all the words and you may not understand all the doctrine and theology. But if you can say I was once blind, but now I see I, I used to be lost, but now I'm saved. When you start talking about look where he brought me from look how he brought me out i may not be everything that i ought to be but i thank god that i'm not what i used to be because he put his hands on me he touched me he saved me he won't give up on me no matter how many times i fall short he keeps on blessing me it stirs up the prophetic anointing when you start testifying about jesus A hymn is a song that talks about the mighty acts of God, His greatness, how great thou art. A spiritual song is a song that gives a message, an admonishment, a warning, or a song that gives, conveys a spiritual revelation. When you start singing prophetically a song you've never learned, and it comes forth, it's birthed out of what God is doing at the moment. Because the Holy Spirit operates off of the ether of the universe. Do you not know that the universe is composed of numbers, colors, and sound? Come on. When the Holy Spirit begins to communicate, He begins to communicate with the very things that the earth and the universe are made out of, and that is vibrations of sound frequency. That's why when He starts turning over in your belly, He starts giving a song, starts coming up out of your spirit. 
Because he's operating on the primal level of your being. <laughs> you see, songs, you know, rhythm is for the body. What's the other part? Rhythm? Come on, come on, song. Rhythm for the rhythm is what? Movement. Huh, come on, thank you. Harmony, that's the soul. But he didn't say in the rhythm of the spirit. He didn't say in the harmony. He said making melody in your heart. Because rhythm is for the body. Harmony is for the soul. But the spirit has a melody. You, you don't have a word. You don't get a word to the song. You get a little melody in your spirit. You don't know where it came from. It's a melody and joy. And you start singing to yourself, testifying about how he brought you out. It comes by inspiration in the Holy Ghost. This is how God's moving operates in the believer to edify you. Why? Because as you speak, Paul said, I will pray in an unknown tongue. I will pray in the spirit and I will pray with my understanding. I will sing in the spirit and I will sing in my understanding. So he says you can sing in the spirit. But he says he that pray in an unknown tongue, pray that he may interpret. See, this is where the body of Christ does not get it. All the tongue talking and Pentecostalism and all the Hickamashandai and Edom Mosquito and Kickstarter Mahanda and Rambo, all the stuff we're doing. He said, pray that you interpret. Your prayer life will never take a deeper dimension until you start learning how to pray to you interpret what you just got through praying. To wait in prayer after you've prayed in the Spirit to pray that you also get the interpretation. Why? Because Paul said, he that prayeth in an unknown tongue, he does what? He speaks out mysterion. He speaks out mysteries. What are these mysteries? Mysteries, the word mystery in the Greek has several different meanings. But the word mysterion, y'all know my favorite meaning of the word mysterion, is the hidden forces. Oh, I love it. When I looked, when I looked up in Vine's Expository and saw that definition, I said, my God, the revelation just hit me like a flood. He said, Vine says, mysterion is the hidden forces that accelerate or retard the working of God's power. I'm going to say it again to you. Mysterion, everybody say, the hidden forces that either accelerate or they are retarding the working of God's power. So he that prayeth in an unknown tongue is moving in elemental dimensions where he is actually working with forces that are gawking God, accelerating the movement of God's power. I can't get You see, there are demonic spirits that are trying to hinder and retard the working of God's power. But the Bible said when you begin to pray in the Holy Ghost, you build up your most holy faith by praying in the Holy Ghost. Just why the Spirit of God begins to accelerate the plan of God in your life. He begins to move in the angelic realm. I can't get no witnesses in here. I remember the story I told you many times. That man came to that church. He was a Jewish rabbi in the spirit of ecumenicism. He came to a church and he was walking through. And every day they had prayer. The men would gather for noonday prayer. As he was walking through the church and he was just going through, he said, what's going on? He said, well, they're praying. He said, I'd like to hear them pray. And the pastor's like, well, you know, he a Pentecostal church. They're going to be speaking in tongues. Maybe the rabbi ain't ready. He said, no, I insist. The rabbi said, no, I really want to hear. All right. He opened the door up to Pentecostal pandemonium. And they was in there on the floor soaking and he could shandai and he's looking around and all of a sudden he stops. And he said, Well, have you seen enough? He said, No. He said, No. He said, Well, are you have you heard enough? For five minutes the rabbi stood there. He said, Have you heard enough? And the rabbi said, Who is that man on the floor there? He said, Oh, he's just a brother that goes. No, no. What does he do? What is he? Where is he from? He's from here. He's from the city. Where was he born? He born here in the city. Is he Jewish or Hebrew? No, he's barely got a high school education. 
He's the janitor of the church. He's the what? He can't be no janitor. He said, yeah. He said, why? He said, he just spoke in fluent Hebrew. He said, and the pastor said, he did. He said, he did. He said, well, what did he say? He said, it's the craziest thing. He began to call the names of angels one by one and dispatching them across the world to different places and different situations. And I had to sit there and listen to what he was saying. The Bible says, though I speak with the tongues of angels and of men. I can't get no help up in here. Praying in the Holy Ghost. He was accelerating the working of God's power in the earth. I thought about Shandalabahatsia. Hallelujah. <laughs> I gotta cut to the chase. I can't go through all this stuff I got for you. Let me get to the part. Let me get to the last part so I can close you all up in here. Look at somebody say the hidden forces are accelerating when I pray in the Holy Ghost. He knows what angel. He knows what job. He knows where to send them. He's always on time. He's working behind the scenes. He's moving behind the curtain. Nobody can stop the Holy Ghost. 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 Ghost. (laughs) Woo! Hallelujah! Why aren't you praying in the Holy Ghost? What's your excuse for not praying in the Holy Ghost? What's your excuse for driving and not praying in the Holy Ghost? The Bible said, when I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying. Until you pray in the Holy Ghost, you're not operating in your spirit yet. You're trying to fight battles in the flesh that can only be won in the spirit. (laughs) All right. Let me throw this to you before I pass out from heat exhaustion. And I'm going to let you go home. Romans 12 and 3. For I say through grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Look at somebody say, I got a measure of faith. You have faith, you, just may, you may not know how to operate in it, but you do have it. Then verse number 6, he says, Having gifts differing according to the grace that is given to you, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. He said, measure of faith is given to you. He said, now you have to prophesy according to the proportion. Proportion it to the measure. You have to prophesy. See, it takes faith to prophesy. It takes faith to speak something that you don't really know whether it's God or not. It takes faith to trust God for the utterance. That's prophetic. He said if you don't have faith, you ain't never going to prophesy. If you don't believe you will prophesy, you won't. If you don't believe you can, you won't. Well, watch this. You ready? I know it's hot in here, but watch this. He said, there's grace given to you. Grace differing to each other. Don't ever ask for anybody's grace. Because you don't know what come with that grace. You don't know what principalities come with that grace. 
You don't know what demons come. You don't know what hell they got to go through. You don't know what people had to walk through to be humble and meek. <laughs> For God to use them. Somebody was telling me they thought he was complimenting. Man, Pastor Reed, you, you, t- you, let, you, just, you, just, you just, people just walk all over top of you. I said, yeah. You just stay humble and you, you be, I've seen you, I've seen you be nice to people that you know were talking about you and everything. I said, where does that come from? I said, when you've been kicked and rejected and beat down and drugged through the mud long enough, you just learn that you just might as well go ahead and just die. <laughs> Since they're going to kill you, just go ahead and let it happen. Quit fighting it. When that truck roll over you, stay down. <laughs> and when they don't over you enough, it won't be none of you left. It'll be only him arise. Come on. Because, see, we don't need you to be better. We don't need you at all. Well, God came to make you a better person. No, he didn't. You better is still a failure. We don't need you at all. We need you to get out the way and let him live his life through you. We don't need you a better you, a smarter you. That means nothing. Nothing. (laughs) Wait a minute. He said these gifts are given. He said there's a measure of faith given to you. Say, I got it. But you've got to prophesy according to the proportion of faith that you have. So without faith, you can't speak. What do we say prophecy is? Prophecy is speaking the mind and will of God. He said, let every man enter into the will of God, the hidden will of God, by their faith. If you don't have faith, you can't step into the mystery of your life. You can't speak it. You can't have it. Are you hearing me? The Bible says that faith come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The Bible says that the word of God is Jesus. So Jesus comes by the hearing of the word of God. He comes when you hear. If you can hear him, you can have him. Oh, another great series you got to go get. If you can hear him, you can have him. Because when you hear him, he comes to you. Why? How does he come? He comes because as he sends the envoy to you. And you hear it, it builds the bridge. When it's received by you, faith is the bridge that he travels on to come to you. Wait a minute. He says, prophesy, speak mind and will of God. Reveal the hidden will and mind of God by faith. Then Jude says in 120, but you, beloved, build up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying the Holy Ghost. He just told you that praying in the Holy Ghost will increase your faith so that you can step out into the prophetic. Not done yet. Wait a minute. It increases the energy for the unction of the Spirit of God. It takes to prophesy, it takes faith to speak in tongues. Every syllable is a tiny step of faith. You don't know what you're going to say. You just trust in God for every word. It may sound stupid to some people. It may sound crazy to you. But you're trusting God to give you what? The utterance. So then we see that this praying in the spirit is the training wheel to greater works. This praying in the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues, is the doorway into the greater works. Into the moving of the gifts of the spirit. First, Second Corinthians 4.13, we have in the same spirit of faith according as it is written, I believe, therefore have I spoken, we believe, therefore we speak. We have the spirit of faith that we speak what we believe. Listen. This only what I learn of you. Receive you the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. The work of the spirit, how did it come? By the law or by you hearing the truth? By hearing the truth. Then he says in verse number three, for he therefore that ministereth to spirit and works miracles among you 
Does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? He just told you that the proportion of your faith is not only to move in prophetic dimension, but also in ministering the spirit to people and also releasing the miraculous comes by based upon you hearing Jesus. And praying in the Holy Spirit, as you pray in the Holy Spirit, you are building up that faith. You're building up that action. The Bible says in Hebrews 6 and 4, for it's impossible for those who tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. Verse number 5, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers, the powers of the world to come. That's what the gifts of the Spirit are. They are the powers of the world to come. He says it's impossible for you Jewish believers to accept Yeshua and then go back under the law to be restored. That's what he's talking about in the book of Hebrews. That whole book is about him addressing Jews who want to go back under the law. Is not Judaism plus Jesus. So he says, after you taste of the heavenly gift, that's Jesus. The good word of God, you heard the truth. You got the powers of the world to come. That's the Holy Ghost. These powers of the world to come are in the realm of the Spirit. Paul says something very powerful in 2 Corinthians While we look not to the things that are seen, but the things which are unseen. For the things which are seen are passing away, but the things which are unseen are eternal. Isn't it interesting how the unseen realm is linked to unknown tongues? Y'all didn't catch that, did you? Isn't it interesting how the unseen realm is linked directly to speaking in unknown tongues? If you want to possess that which is in an unseen, unknown realm, you have to speak in unknown languages. Oh, the light bulb comes on. When you pray in tongues, you are operating in the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, 7, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. He says in 2 Corinthians 13, 8, you know this, charity will never fail. Love won't fail. But whether there's prophecies, they'll fail. Whether there are tongues, they're going to stop one day. Whether there is knowledge, it's going to vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. For now we look through a glass darkly, verse number 12. But then face to face, I know in part, but then I shall know even as I am known. Do you know we pray in part and we know in part? We speak the mystery in part. We know in part, but there's an unseen, hidden part. And he says, Paul says, the reason why I am able to sit in this jail cell with all hope of my life being taken from me and I'm not flipping out and going crazy, it's because I'm looking to the unseen realm. While I'm here surrounded by stuff that everything is going to hell, I'm not looking at that. I'm looking to the unseen realm. And the spirit of faith in me is giving me the ability to penetrate the veil of this realm, to in the unseen realm. And in order to see in the unseen because I only know in part, and I prophesy, I speak the will of God, the hidden mystery of God, in part, I'm looking through a glass darkly. But the more I exercise my unknown tongues, the more I speak in my heavenly language, I am tapping into an unknown realm, an unseen realm. And the reality of that realm becomes greater the more I become aware of the unknown mystery that is being revealed in my spirit. I got to tell you this. 
1 John 2.20, for we have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. Verse number 27, 1 John 2 and 27, but the anointing which you have received with him abideth in you, and you need not that any man teach you, but the same anointing teaches you all things in his truth, and is no lie, even as it has taught you, you shall abide in him. This anointing, this unction, when you pray in the Spirit, as you pray, and this is a wrong way, you can pray in the Spirit and have a good time and just be thinking about everything else you want to think about, but if you really want to get the maximum results for praying in the Spirit, you need to pray inwardly as your spirit is praying in tongues. You ought to be praying in your mind. You ought to be meditating on the mind of God, the Word of Christ, the mind of Christ, focused as you are. See, your body needs to be focused, your mind should be focused, and your spirit should be praying. See, he said, you should worship the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. See, this is when you begin to get in this position where the thoughts of God begin to drift. And they begin to lift you into this consciousness where you begin to see God's reality. You begin to see the original intention that God intended. In the Garden of Eden is the original intention. No sickness, no death, no dying early, no curse. That's God's original intention. When you begin to see through the eyes of faith, you begin to see the original intention that God had for your life. So therefore, hope, which is God's version of the future. Look backward is God's intention that he originally designed for you. But looking forward is the unfolding and the revealing of the mind, prophetic, the mind and will of God to you. God's hope. What is hope? God's version of the future for you. When I see God, there's your version, there's the world's version, there's the devil's version, but what is God's version of the future? That brings hope. That's what hope is. God's version based upon his original intention in the first place. Because he don't really make mistakes. What he intended in the first place, he still means it now. And the working of the Holy Spirit is to cause you to visit the original intention and bring you full circle to where hope comes alive and now you're able to see his version of my future. And when I look into that unseen realm and see that version with words which cannot be uttered, it comes back out of my spirit speaking out the wisdom of God. Because wisdom is what? It's God's way of carrying out his future for you. The wisdom of God is God's way of carrying out hope, his version for you. We speak the wisdom of God in a mysterion. So, if prayer is to be done properly, you've got to know the word. The word of God is the fuel of prayer. If you don't know the word of God, you don't know his original intention for you. You didn't hear where he says that by his stripes you were healed. You ain't meditated on that long enough. You didn't hear the words where he said, my God shall supply all. See, you got to get, and there's many more scriptures. See, you get the original intention, and you take the word of God, and you say, this is what you said. This is the promise that you made. And as I meditate, and as I pray in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit is visiting my future. Because he's searching the hearts, and what is the mind of God concerning me? And he's going to crunch it into a cold and download it into my spirit. And as I pray out this secret language between me and him, for he that speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not unto men but unto. That's why you don't need no interpreter when you're praying in tongues. 
God, don't do that unless you got an interpreter. No, I'm speaking to God. He don't need an interpretation. Bible scholar. And here's what happens. We have an unction. And this is the last thing I'm going to tell you. I'm going to close. You have an unction from the Father that shows you all things, teaches you everything. This unction. Because, see, you don't know what to do. But at the moment, he says, take no thought for tomorrow. Take no thought what you shall say when they deliver you up. He said, for in that same hour, the Holy Ghost is going to teach you what to say. As you have been filled with the Spirit of God, as you have prayed in the Holy Ghost, as the Spirit of God has filled you, you increase in unction. What is unction? Unction is the prompting of the Spirit in your belly that you got to obey. It is the knowing inside you. Many times when I'm moving in dimensions of the spirit, I don't know with my head what I'm going to do. I know in my belly what I'm going to do. There's an unction to touch this person. There's an unction. It leaps. It's a witness to do it. I remember when I was a teenager and I had the Holy Ghost and I got up to testify. Prophecy would come over me. I didn't know what it was. It would be like I was all electric in my stomach. I thought I was on a roller coaster. My stomach was dropping, twirling around, and I thought I was just nervous. Until the prophet told me, he said, that ain't nervousness. That's the unction of the Holy Ghost. I said, what? <laughs> he said, that ain't nervousness. He said, that's how the Holy Ghost feels when he's moving in your belly. Because you see, it's nervous energy when you're scared. But when you ain't scared, it's just energy. <laughs> it's just unction. And he gives you an unction that comes upon you. And the unction tells you what to do. I remember I was watching this great healing minister one time. I was in Bible college. And, you know, usually when I prayed for people, they died or got sicker. Nothing really else happened too much back then. <laughs> I wasn't really moving in healing ministry that much, you know. <laughs> it might get worse if I pray for you, no. But... <laughs> I remember watching this, and I had really began to watch this person. And as he began to minister, the anointing, I tuned into the anointing that was on him by being, beholding him steadfastly. I didn't get into the three flows of the Spirit in, in Chronicles, the, pro, the, the uh, Chronicles uh, 29, uh, where it talks about Gad the seer and Nathan the prophet and uh, the other prophet. It's three different types of flows of the spirit. You look up the word seer, prophet, seer. It's three different words, and they mean three different flows. One means it bubbles up. One means you perceive by the spirit, and the other one means you know. You just know by the spirit, or you see. You see it actually in a vision, or you just know and perceive it, or it bubbles up out your spirit. You don't know. It just comes up out of you. Those are the three flows of the spirit.